All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. I'm Sasha Wolf, recording once again from the Bearsville Theater in Woodstock, New York. Thank you, Bearsville Theater. Everyone check out what they've got going on. A lot of great stuff coming up this summer. And I'm joined, as usual, by my friend and producer. You know, I'll just say that one thing that was really disappointing for me personally was that I found out from the last episode, the Mimi Plum episode, where I wasn't um, involved in the intro, that this guy, this guy I'm going to introduce in a second, but that this guy, well, I'll introduce him now, this guy, Michael Chauvin Dalton, doesn't need me. (laughs) Not true. (laughs) Doesn't need me. For two years, two years, We've been bantering and and doing all this fun stuff together. And then I find (laughs) out that I'm superfluous. (laughs) Just absolutely unnecessary. And not only that, let me give you a little inside baseball, folks. So what you don't know is that I would say we get the intro in one take maybe Mm -hmm. 40% of the time. Yeah. Usually, that's fair. There's there's some uh, stumbles and falls, and and I'm just going to be honest and say that I am responsible for those the vast majority <laughs> of the time. <laughs> and so, and so I hear this Mimi Plum intro, and it is so smooth. And I know he got it in one take. And nope. it wasn't, oh, <laughs> huh, what? Nope, 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 no, I, oh. I go back and forth. I try different things. Be still, my heart. <laughs> but I will say I was both proud of you and quietly devastated that um, you did <laughs> such a great job without me. Hello, hello, well, hello. thank you. Hello. <laughs> no, but it's it's not fun for me, but it's I'm sure it's nowhere near as fun for the audience to not have a little banter. I don't know, man. You were so smooth. You were like a, uh, <laughs> you're going to get hired by some major um, radio station. I don't know. Do they do that anymore? <laughs> I, don't, I doubt <laughs> it. WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> Booger. <laughs> Nobody's going to get that reference. <laughs> <No>. Nobody. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Off the tracks, down the road, into the fields, and into the woods. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. Kids are home, planning for the summer. Good. How was the? Uh, how were the trips back and forth from your one recording studio to your other recording studio? Yes. From Bearsville to Manhattan. Yes. All is well. It's actually the easiest drive, I have to say. But now I'm sort of here way more for yeah. for people's amusement. I bought an Airstream. I know. I, I bought a 1988 vintage 31-foot Airstream that I'm renovating. So I'm... Wow. I will just huh. say to all of my artists that I represent, I'm still doing my job, I swear to God. But <laughs> in, every, <laughs> in every... 
in every free moment. I actually get up at like six by seven. I'm working on it. Then I work and then I go back out in the afternoon and work on it. And I'm just about at the point now where I need to hire someone. I've hit a wall on what I'm capable Mm. of doing. But it's going to be amazing little, not, you know, yeah, tiny house. I mean, it's seven and a half, the interior is seven and a half by 29 feet. So, but I'm putting right. a, a wood burning stove in and yeah, it's going to be a pretty cool yeah. hangout. Wow. I can't wait. Yes. Well, yeah. you are invited. You are invited up when yeah. it's done to come hang out. We should do a show there. Oh, we should. <laughs> we should actually. Yeah. That would be super fun. Nice introduction there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I like that idea. So... Before we get to today's show, which is one of my favorites, but uh, I just want to say something that's really exciting. This year, Perry Photo and Aperture are celebrating their 10th anniversary of the Photo Book Awards this year. They started in in, uh, 2012. And if you don't know, there's three major categories. Uh, First, Photo Book. And that category is accompanied by a prize of Mm $10,000. Photo Book of the Year and Photography Catalog of the Year. And even if you don't win one of those three main prizes, there are 35 shortlisted books every year, and they get exhibited around the world. Yeah. They are seen at Perry Photo, which is just a massive event where tens of thousands of people go through. But they're also exhibited at Printed Matter in New York. They'll be at the uh, Photo 2022 International Festival of Photography in Melbourne, Museum of Photography in Seoul, and many other places. So um, you can actually check out all the other places where they'll be seen on on the Aperture website, aperture.org. But the call is open now through September uh, 9th to submit. Keep that in mind, everyone. It's really a very prestigious thing and just brings um, books a tremendous amount of exposure. So, you know, on top of that, all that exposure, I know my social media just fills up with these uh, photo book award categories and winners. And uh, as soon as it's uh, all announced, so oh, there's yeah. a lot yeah. of exposure with this. Yes, yeah, yeah. for sure. Definitely. Okay. So moving on, uh, today's episode was with the great artist, Wendy Redstar. I loved talking to Wendy. Mm-hmm. What did you think of, of the episode? This episode was enlightening. And I don't know if I've ever said that about another episode. You know, usually I love it. I love your guest because I can identify with some process or identify with something they 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 go through as artists and all. Uh, this was very different. I I was riveted by this this conversation of things I've I couldn't identify with that I've not dealt with in in my own uh, career. And you have this conversation about dealing with trauma and humor, and I don't want to give too much away. It's so good. Um, and the role of the artist as the communicator and, and what responsibility the artist has to, uh, you know, let people in on what's going on and also allow people to discover uh, for themselves what's happening in the work. And uh, boy, I just ate it up. It was so good. Just so good. Yeah, Wendy's really charismatic and very warm, really funny. Humor is a huge part of her practice, which we talk about a lot. So not surprisingly, you know, she's sort of very similar to her work. Her vibe is very similar to the vibe of her work. Mm -hmm. And she had a a lot to say about that and about just the way her work is perceived in sort of the Mm -hmm. 
white European American culture. She's a Crow Native American, if you don't know. And yeah, it was really enlightening for me as well. So both the conversation, of course, you know, doing the research before I talked to her and, and right. just loving every moment of that research, to be honest. It was really fun, <laughs> sort of really yeah. d- deep diving into into her background. Well, fantastic. Let's just get to it because it is it's a really interesting episode and it's really fun. I mean, I don't want to overstate my importance or whatever, but I think Wendy and I had a really <laughs> good rapport. So it, it's, a, it's a fun episode and it mo- really moves Absolutely. along. Yeah, we connected yeah, really, yeah. really nicely, I think. So, all right, Michael. Well, without further ado, please take it away. My pleasure. And here is your conversation with Wendy Redstar. Wendy Redstar, welcome to the Photo Work Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm a huge fan of your work, and so this is exciting for me. Thank you. I'm just delighted to be here. It's an honor. Thank you. So we start every episode with the journey that the artists made that, that got them to where they are today, right now, sitting wherever they're sitting, talking to me. So um, if you could give us your journey from you know where you were born and raised and everything along the way that seems relevant? You know, I think that's such an interesting question for me right now. I'm 41. And I used to answer this question that is sort of was like a haphazard fly by the seat of my pants way of getting to where I am. But the more I think about the work that I'm doing, the more that I know that this is this is my life's purpose is to me making mm-hmm. the work that I'm doing that is in honor and restoring and uh, digging into archives and history and creating records for my community and bringing those to light to the general public. So I grew up on the Crow Indian Reservation. My dad is uh, Wallace Red Star. He's Upsalogat. And my mom is uh, Molly Malone. She is white of very proud Irish descent. Um, and she was a public health nurse at the Indian, Indian Health Service. And so she's originally from the Colorado area. And so they had me and I have a, a sister who my mom adopted when she was stationed in Korea. She's about four and a half years older than me. Her name's Chelsea. And I just grew up in a really multicultural family and then also in the Crow culture and participating in the Crow culture and sort of soaking all of that up. And I think from there, left to Montana State University in Bozeman and earned a BFA in sculpture. And then from there, went to UCLA and earned an MFA And yeah, I just became very focused once I left the reservation about learning and picking up on things that were happening outside the reservation and on my reservation, just from having that sort of perspective of distance. And it just became very rich material for me to keep digging into and became very relevant. And I think oftentimes people think of me as a 
photographer, even though my background is in the three dimensions. And when I think about it, I've always been interested in photo, especially the photos of my community and the stories that those tell. That's basically my story, and I'm based in Portland, Oregon. One thing that I'm always really interested in, it's funny, because of my own artistic journey, which started in in high school, and it was just so blew my mind when I realized I could fumble through making art. But when did you start making art so that, you know, you knew that's what you wanted to do in in college? Yeah, I, I think I was always making art. There's like pictures from my childhood of drawings that I made that are the same kind of interests that I have today in my artwork, <laughs> like uh, uh, mm-hmm. cultural events and things like that. And then I think what's really important to state is that I had a really hard time in school, especially learning the conventional way. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I always thought that I wasn't as smart as everybody else. And it really took me a lot longer to sort of grasp the conventional concepts. But once I did, I was, you know, I kind of knew them through and through. And so I I think not fully sort of understanding that when I went into college, I was like, what am I going to (laughs) do? Everything is very (laughs) challenging for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And but then you also had the thing about going into the arts. You can't make a living that way. So, you know, Mm -hmm. family telling you that. So I originally chose graphic design. Mm -hmm. And through that, I took um, foundational art courses. And from there, the sculpture professor Sculpture really clicked for me, but the sculpture professor is like, I really think you need to switch your major over. And then what I soon realized is that actually, that's how I learn. And that's Mm -hmm. how I can convey, you know, what I'm learning so clearly is through making art. Um, And that actually didn't really click until probably after grad school that I I was realizing like, oh, this is actually my way of learning. And not only is it my way of learning, but it's also my way of being able to share all of this research in the way that it sort of filters through me. And then Mm -hmm. in in this visual form, which is a way for me to connect to people, all of these things that I want to convey, where I couldn't do that if in like your standard writing an essay, or doing something mm-hmm. scientifically <laughs> or something like that. Right. Yeah. So I feel like I just sort of woke up to that after graduate school, but there was definitely a shift when I was told sophomore year, like to switch into sculpture. One thing that, first of all, to say that, you know, I think for a lot of artists, they, they're they not great academically. I mean, it's not always the case, but of course it, it is common, you know, finding refuge in, in, in art and, you know, gaining some confidence then about oneself, um, or at least finding, you know, a place, a home, if physics class just wasn't doing it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I joke around, but I'm really not joking that I, I really don't know how I graduated from high school, because I either failed or got D's in so many classes, but not art. So, 
I want to just, this may be a funny place to start, but it's, it was so meaningful to me because I just love this about your work so much. So I wanted to, to ask you about this. So I wanted you to talk about this a bit more. In Aperture Magazine, you have a conversation with Abaki Beck and Abaki's asking you about humor and you say, in my own Crow community, we have a whole policing system that uses teasing. Anytime a tribal member is getting egotistical, there's a cousin who will notice it and their job in the community is to make fun of you and bring you down a couple of notches. If you are sick, their purpose is to come and joke with you. So it's very natural for me. Humor is healing to me. Like you mentioned with laughing at funerals, everyone is so sad at that moment to have a little bit of laughter is healing. To have that element in my work is quite native or crow, and I'm glad that it comes through. It's universal. People can connect with the work that way. They can be open to talking about race. I just love that because your work so much, not all of it, but so much of your work is really funny and I didn't know, you know, I I didn't know that it was a part of your culture. You know, I was just like, oh, Wendy's so funny. But <laughs> but can you talk about that? Because I just think it's really fascinating. And and maybe to ask this in a slightly more specific way to help you out a bit so it's not so broad. When did you realize that you were really wanting to use a lot of humor? And did you connect it back immediately to a cultural thing? Yeah, I love our whole system of the way our community operates. And I, I love tying it back to the historical as well. So I think it's important for me to state that the Apsalaga tribe has a clan system. Mm-hmm. And the way the clans work are that they're matrilineal. So the fact that my mom's white, I would have to. And in, anybody whose mother is not Crow you would use your father's mom's clan. So I use my grandmother's clan, and she is Ishkamya, is how you say it, which I love this clan. Um, We're known as the Treacherous Lodges. (laughs) I just love being from the (laughs) Treacherous clan. Um, And there's wonderful names like the, the Greasy Mouse and the Big Lodges and... Anyway, so I'm from the treacherous clan, which is funny to me in itself. I should have known. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm kind of like a double Ishkamya. The way you say it in English is pagan as well. So it's all of those things. But for instance, in case of my dad, he would be Ishkamya. And then his father, he's a sore lip. So my dad's teasing cousins would come from my grandpa's clan. And I always loved that there's this set of teasing cousins. And to me, it really is about having a lot of pride and honor. And so everybody's sort of just sort of holding each other up. But also, it's about humility. So yeah, there's something still on the ground. so nice about that. Because in Western society, it's all it's not that at all. <laughs> Especially mm-hmm. when we think about like social media and all of that. Everybody's sort of presenting themselves and and the best and it would be so amazing mm-hmm. if like uh well, I mean, I guess there are trolls and things <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. Um but there's no healing from a troll, right? Their thing is just to right. bring you down. Right. Yeah. So I always love that concept and it's always so fun when I do go back to the reservation and I'm with my dad and sometimes he'll want to avoid 
a certain place because he knows his teasing cousin works there and he's like, I'm just not mm-hmm. up for it right now. Or sometimes he'll really want to go there and like see his teasing cousin and vice Get a versa. Dose. Yeah. Um, so just to have this whole history is, is I think very amazing and, and beautiful. So yeah. there's always that, but in general, my family and just crow people. And I guess if I want to go out on a limb and be super general, a lot of Native people that I meet from other tribes, there's just sort of this inside humor that we all have. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's like Plains Natives, uh, where we're sort of teasing each other if they find, if like a Lakota person finds out I'm Crow, you know, historically, we were mm-hmm. enemies. So we'll, we'll sort of like rib each other on that. And it's just, it's really nice. It feels like we're connecting so for me, I've always had I've always had that sort of example, but I think a, a big thing is that we're communities that come from a lot of trauma, mm-hmm. and the work and the research that I do, trauma is always there. Mm-hmm. You know, you just scratch the surface and you're going to hit trauma right away, and so it's almost a way for me to also protect myself because. You know, it takes a lot to to look into this research and to absorb it mm-hmm. and filter it. And so one of those filters is how did we come out of this and sort of looking at things from skewed angles. And immediately when I started making artwork that was really based in concept and in history and archives, that immediately came up for me. And then I realized this is actually a great way not only for me to get through this material, but for people who are viewing this as a connecting point. And then from there, it's just sort of kind of all of my work. Even if you see work that you don't think has any humor to it, you need to ask me about it and I'll tell you there's something in there for me that I found to be funny or ironic or, yeah, I would say every piece of work I do has to have that in- ingredient you know, one series where it's really, I think, overt, but then I do wonder if everyone gets it. But of course, you know, that's, you could wonder about that forever. But really is just so profound is the Four Seasons series. Can you describe that series so we can talk about it a little bit? Yeah, so the Four uh, Seasons was produced when I was in like the final year of graduate school at UCLA in 2006. Mm -hmm. And basically, the concept was that I wanted to recreate natural history dioramas in, you know, the four different seasons, and place myself within those dioramas. Because I had my own experience of going to the Natural History Museum in Los Angeles on a bet with myself that I could, if I went there, I bet I could find some Crow cultural material. And I did. And that was the first time that I actually walked into a cultural institution like that with some critical thinking and not just being spoon fed, whatever the institution gave me or uh, the direction in which I was supposed to view things. So in that experience, I produced these four works that were originally, I thought of them as installation and then photographed them as like a record. <laughs> and now they now mm-hmm. their format is that they are photographs. Right. How large are they? Oh, my gosh. Well, they've come in a, uh, two editions. And I'm going to just 
say this roughly. I think the large one is like yeah. 30 by 40. Um, and the smaller mm-hmm. size is around maybe a little bit bigger than 16 by 20. So what's intense about looking at the series is that they are really funny because you you have all these you know, wacky elements that are in the tableau, you know, blow up animals and one dimensional cardboard cut out animals and the grass is astroturf. <laughs> and so when you really look, you know, you, you laugh, but of course it's also not even quietly devastating, but just overtly devastating because you know, I, myself, I, I grew up in New York City going to the Museum of Natural History, and this is going to connect to something else you've talked about, which I think is really important for us to talk about a bit, which is this way in which American culture has almost made it seem as if Native American culture and Native Americans are a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. And you really realize that when you go and, I mean, you don't realize that, you you realize the way that is sort of um, reinforced by seeing these dioramas in a museum next to the dinosaurs. You know, it's like so bizarre. And, you know, in getting ready to talk to you and really thinking about everything, and it, it, it was devastating. You know, it's, it's really upsetting. And that series is really upsetting, but also really funny. <laughs> and so, you know, it's such a sort of like, I mean, I think this is in a, a lot of your work, and, and it's a lot of the genius of your work, because you don't really feel, it doesn't feel hostile, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't feel... I didn't feel like you were making fun of me in a way that was mean spirited. Mm-hmm. There's nothing mean spirited about it. Yeah. But it is incredibly enlightening and it really makes you think. And the humor is there. It's funny, the humor is there in a teasing way, maybe like one of your teasing cousins, <laughs> but, you know, meant to really sort of bring you down and make you think, but not be cruel. I mean, does that sound right? Like the way you think about it? Yeah. And I, I, I love that emotional roller coaster. And it's wonderful to hear that that work is providing that range of emotion. I think that's why that work has been such an important work for my career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. think of the four seasons as its own entity now. And she's like, got a fascinating career going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's in like so many she separated herself collections from <laughs> and like, I'll get a Google alert and I'll be like, Oh, so she's in that exhibition right now. That's cool. You know, uh-huh. and I'm just working to like, you know, catch up, but I've had, it's like the, that work. I mean, I loved to talk to other artists that have work like that in their practice, because I truly do think that, it's it keeps doing work for me and mm-hmm. it's been like super helpful but as a young artist it was such a powerful work that often felt like that's the only work that people were interested in so it's sort of, so i have sort of an interesting dynamic of my own with that work but then it's been i think such a critical piece for institutions and institutions mm-hmm. realizing they really are lacking that voice and that perspective 
and it, it really becomes sort of a, a bridge for so many things within the institution and the different galleries and collections. But no, it I, I love the fact that you say that I'm, it's not mean hearted. And I think if we were to talk about teasing cousins again, I really what they're trying to do is teach you mm-hmm. a lesson mm-hmm. so that you can learn and be a better person. And so it's great <laughs> to hear the Four Seasons is doing that. I mean, it, it's, yeah, 100%. it's turning back to you and, and you have to do the work. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I, that's what makes it such a great piece. Cause you, you get to take something away from it and, uh, and, and do the work. One other thing that I noticed or I observed about you is I, I, it feels like you are someone who gets an incredible amount of joy from adding detail, 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 detail. And one series that I love that I, I saw at Mass Mocha last summer is the 1880 Peace Delegation mm-hmm. series. Can you describe that for folks? And I mean, it is, you know, I'll just say quickly that like my ex-gallery uh, manager and I used to joke about like our biggest fear when people came into the gallery was what we called the 360, which is someone takes like five steps in, does a 360 and walks out. <laughs> and <laughs> we, we were like, not enough detail. In other words, whatever was up on the walls, didn't, they didn't feel the need that they had to go up and really look. Yes. And your work is the exact, like, it cannot be denied. If you don't go up and look, you know, especially with this 1880 peace delegation, then, you know, you're just goodbye. We don't care about you. Just go off and maybe you need to use the restroom or something. That's, <laughs> that's fine. But because this work demands that you come in and interact with it. So, but why don't you describe what it is? Yes. Um, so the 1880 Crow Peace Delegation is a work that I produced in 2014 for a solo show I had at the Portland Art Museum. And the inspiration for digging into that body of work was there was a lot of talk about cultural appropriation of Native imagery. Um, It was like trending very hard. And I started reflecting on that and thinking like, where in Crow culture, Absalaga culture, has there been cultural appropriation? And then it made me think of this chief of ours, Medicine Crow. And the reason why I thought of him was because there's this beautiful portrait of him sitting on this chair. And that image, there's two images from, it seems like from the same portrait session that have been used on book covers, on honest tea, murals, Mm -hmm. and so many artists I've seen like that will make paintings of that. So it's like, what is this? Because I love the photos because uh, they're mm-hmm. powerful. He's he's very handsome and and amazing cheekbones. Yes, and his um, outfit is just meticulous. And so then mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute! I've never ever sat down and asked anything about this photo, <laughs> and that and so that's what happened. I just asked what what's going on with this photo what happened that day that he sat down to take this photo? Uh, I was like, where was this photo taken? And it's amazing. I think this is so important 
that the information is there and it's waiting for you and it's pretty easy to get. I think maybe that was maybe why I never questioned because I thought those answers would be really hard to find and they're not a quick Mm -hmm. Google search. And so basically what I found was this, these two images were taken in Washington, D.C. by Charles Milton Bell in 1880. And it was for a delegation trip. A group of six Crow chiefs went from Crow country, which was located in Montana. They traveled to Washington, D.C. because the U.S. government was trying to put a train through a large track of our territory. So the surprising thing for me was it wasn't just him, but there were these five other chiefs. I had no idea that there were these delegation trips that were happening between Native people and the U.S. government. So, you know, there were Lakota and Osage all traveling around that time period in the late 1800s to up until the mid-1900s, sitting down with U.S. presidents. And from there, I just uh, started doing more questions and research. And through that, I produced this body of work that focused on five of the chiefs. And uh, I selected two portraits from each photo session with them and just decided that I really wanted to look. And the way for me to do that, I decided was to trace them in red and everything that they were wearing, I outlined. And then in that process, I would start seeing things. And then I'd be like, well, what is that? Oh, that's Mm -hmm. ermine. That fur is ermine. And it represents that they captured a gun, which is one of the five or the four coups that you would Mm -hmm. need to do in order to be a chief. So all of these things just started like pouring out. It was like the mm-hmm. it was like the images were wanting to talk to me. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I said, this is incredible. And, it, you know, it was so engaging for for me. And it, it was almost like the images were screaming to me. And so there's something about that and just being really super intimate with each of these individuals. Right. So just wanted to provide that in a way that other people would be able to see how much this this uh, black and white image had to offer. Yeah, I mean, they're really striking. So they're black and white images, and you've used, I mean, it looks like almost like a red Sharpie or something, and just pointed out, you know, the different jewelry and hair extensions, hairstyles, just what different things signified, what they were. And you do add some funny commentary. Of course. In some of them. (laughs) (laughs) And... It's just, they're so magnetic. You know, I mean, I remember when I saw them just standing there and, you know, just being like, I have to read every word. Like, this is amazing. And then when something funny pops up, you're like, wait, what? (laughs) You know, because because it goes from something really serious to something really funny. Wait, I'm going to, I have the book in front of me. I'm going to look for an example that I I like. Um, Oh, here's one. It's like all this serious stuff, and then I can kick your ass with these <laughs> eyes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I was like, I was like <laughs> two belly. I mean, the way you're looking at yeah. me, totally. Like, I was just imagining <laughs> him, like, walking in and, like, mean, mean mugging somebody. And it's like, definitely 
all he'd have to do is just look at you. (laughs) Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm in the wrong room. Plus, I think like, didn't I write like that he was like six foot four or something. And I, for some odd fact, somebody measured his chest too. And I was like, oh, um, so like, there's just like these weird things that are out there that I was like, I want to include these. But then there's also just from growing up on the reservation, some of these chiefs have des- descendants, uh, most of them. And just hearing some of the, you know, just the local reservation gossip, you know, I had to include in there, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> local reservation gossip. So, well, I love your, I mean, it's in so much of your work that, you know, extra detail that makes you, you know, it's the thing I think as an artist you want, right? Mm-hmm. For people to not be able to leave the artwork, you know, to not do the 360, but to really just stand there and 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 be given, a, and it, it's, it pays off. I mean, sometimes you're standing there with artwork and you're just going, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. If, what, maybe if I think really hard and use all of my gray matter, I'll be able to figure <laughs> out what it means, you know? But that's not what you're doing. You know, we stand there and we look and we spend more time with your work and it just, it actually gives. So you don't have to go through that terrible process of, is it just me? Am I not getting it? You know, it's like, you're not even in that space. You're just absorbing all these wonderful tidbits of information. You know, I, th- I think in, in talking about that, cause you did ask me about detail. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for me, again, there's this cultural element to it that drives that detail and meaning in detail. And it's just the way in which it really shows in in that body of work that everything has a a meaning to it. Uh, So everything Mm -hmm, that those mm -hmm. men are wearing has a a specific symbology to it. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's why detail is so important to me, because in those details, there's something really kind of incredible. It's, It's not just... The hair extensions, <laughs> you know, right. there's, there's a whole yeah, a whole meaning right. that it, it equals power and mm-hmm. that, you know, that they were made from people in mourning who the crow cultural tradition, when people die, your close family members will often cut off their hair. So all of those things, I'm like, that's so important yes. and juicy. Like, yeah, I need to, I need to convey that. Yeah, no, it's really great. And you know, a lot of that, you know, not not as specific as what you just said, but but certainly power, like a lot can be inferred. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it's wonderful experience interacting with, with your work. So let me ask you about sort of a big philosophical thing. You said this, and I think it was also an aperture. As a brown artist, your work is political, whether you like it or not. Even if you are doing abstract painting, as soon as someone finds out you're brown, they think this is about racism. The first time I came across this was when I was an undergrad and I was erecting teepees around campus. I had discovered that Bozeman, Montana was Crow territory. I wanted everyone to know that this was Crow territory. I didn't even think of it as political. I just thought this is true. It wasn't until years later that I realized they are saying it's political because it's against the colonial standard. I don't aim to do political work, but it becomes political because it's talking outside the colonial framework. You know, this just struck me as being like, this is the conversation right now about so much. Like, you know, when a black artist does like a series on their family, it's considered being about identity. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
yes, everything is about identity. You can't just say it's about identity because it's about a black family. You have mm-hmm. to be able to say that then about any white artist's work about their family, that it's about identity also. It's just, it's so right. Of course, it's about identity. And at the same time, it's almost like a trick description. Like it, it's mm. so reductive. Yes. So I don't know. I just wondered if you could talk about that a bit as opposed to me talking about it. <laughs> talk, talk about specifically. Oh, yeah, just about like how frustrating that must have been that experience. And well, that experience, yes. I think it was actually very, actually kind of trauma for me. Yeah. And, and I actually kind of think I realized, you know, as soon as I left my community off the reservation, it's something that I've, um, a position that I've been placed in constantly as sort of like, like an, an educator position. And then also sort of Place in a position where I forget what you call this, like where you're the speaker for all Native Americans. Yeah, you're like the representative, <laughs> right? Representative, yes. And I'm like, there's no way I would yeah. ever want that position, mm-hmm. nor, you know. So I think for me, it was like, oh, how do I contend with this? And it's so interesting. I have a 14 year old daughter, and people an do artist. that to her. No, she, yeah, yes, she is, but she's going to tell you no, you know, she's being very her independent self, but um, we we all know, we all know the truth, but she, she's being put in that position too. And I was like, darn, you know, that's so, that's so tough. And I think ultimately what it does is it makes you feel othered. Yes. Um, And I didn't realize this until actually just a couple years ago, because I was starting to get some sort of anxiety about doing lectures and things like that. And mm-hmm. then the questions at the end, um, because some of the, a lot of the questions are pointing out to like how different I am or mm-hmm. my community mm-hmm. is. And I know there's other ways in which um, we can uh, close that gap to, to really just speak to each other as relating human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, But so often these questions are posed as like, you're quite alien is how how Mm -hmm. it comes off. Mm -hmm. And then years worth of that happening, I I was realizing, oh, you know, it's actually sort of triggering this like isolating feeling Mm -hmm. that I have. So yeah, that was hard. But, you know, now I, I feel like now that I know what's sort of happening to me, that it's not my problem. Mm-hmm. It re- really is a reflection of everybody else and where they're at and their understanding. And I think the way for me to march forward is understanding that the work that I'm doing is important and necessary. And that's where I'm going to put my focus. And when people catch up, they'll catch up, but I'm not going to wait for them mm-hmm. <laughs> or I'm not mm-hmm. going to hold their hand through it. And I think as a younger artist, I thought I had to hold everybody's hand through it. And mm-hmm. I thought I had to be that educator person. And that's asking, that's asking a lot. And mm-hmm. I think right now and switching to just sort of like you talking about the four seasons and how you had to do a lot of the reflecting mm-hmm. and was placed on you. I think that's what we need. I think we need, people now and institutions now to do the work and not put that burden on the people who are actually 
triggered and traumatized by it. Well, so, you you know, it doesn't do me any good for you to tell me how I should feel. I, you know, I mean, yes, I have to, you know, get there on my own or it's not going to be it's going to be a surface experience. I mean, in order for it to be a deep experience, I have to get there on my own. Yes, absolutely. And I I think even thinking about that professor and undergrad who said, you make really political work. I I actually really kind of hurt me because for some reason Mm -hmm. I was thinking I was bad, like, oh, I was being bad. And so I kind of walked away from that comment feeling like I, I had done something wrong. Now I would be like, Oh, if I had that moment to go back and just place that question back on that person. Mm-hmm. And then I think it would be quite clear to them <laughs> yeah. how that question comes across. Yeah. yeah. His existence is political to you. Mm-hmm. So in the time we have left, which is not a ton, let me just ask you a few sort of big arty questions. Do you work? Um, I mean, I know artist angst, so I'm, I'm not assuming anything, but your work feels so confident. Do you work with a lot of confidence or is that, do you go through the, the, the normal trials and tribulations of, of confidence that, that many artists do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love, I love that uh, it comes off as uh, confident. Oh, um, gosh, no, I, yeah. I, to- <laughs> I totally, I totally have those struggles. Um, it's, they don't teach you the business aspects of being an artist right, and I know. Um, yeah. all of that. So I think, you know, the struggle for me is like carving out time to make work and to think. And that actually for me is like kind of the biggest roadblock. Um, so yeah, tease that out a bit, explain that a bit more. Um, so yeah, typ- typically, and you've met my very wonderful, uh, you haven't met her, but email exchanges with my studio assistant, mm-hmm. who's basically taken up a lot of my admin, but I had no idea, at least the way that my practice is shaking out, how much administrative emails back and forth with mm-hmm. several institutions and different asks. And since my practice has been primarily museum based, I'll get asked to do an exhibition a year, two years in advance. Mm -hmm. And so that's also kind of hard, like something that I'm excited about right now in the moment. um, And then they're like, okay, it's time for that show two years down the road. I feel like I've grown past those concepts. Right. Yeah. So there's all these sort of things that are counter to creativity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so those things definitely cause me to struggle. I think de- deadlines and having things on the calendar are, you know, the things that are great motivators. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but once I get into it, I just love, I mean, that's what keeps me doing what I do. It's so addictive. And you come to your work, it seems like in the reading I was doing about you that you you sort of find your projects in the archives a lot like you're researching something and that sparks an idea is that yes. more or less process your process a- absolutely yeah in in the archives uh it could be in a, a photo or it could be in an object and again it's like that 1880 where i just start asking a question and then usually there's an amazing s- story that then is a launching off point. And do you feel comfortable waiting for those things to sort of come to you? Do you ever, are you ever in panic mode? Like, 
ah, where's my next great idea? Or you sort of feel, (laughs) how Jewish are you? That's what I'm asking. (laughs) Hey, I did ask the curator at Mass Mocha. Um, She said if I asked her three times that she would adopt me into the Jewish community. All right. Well, I am adopted in. We are are funny people. Also born out of trauma. (laughs) Exactly. We don't want you here. Get lost. Move on. I would say that the archives are so, there's so much rich material yes. that, yeah. um, no, they, they're yeah. a constant source of inspiration. <laughs> In a bunch, you're like, where do I start? Right. So yes. much. Yeah. Yes. So last question, the, all our friends at Aperture would kill me if I left this out and I don't want to <laughs> leave it out. I swear I don't want to people at Aperture. How do you feel about the book and how does it, what is it like having your first big book? Um, It's a beautiful book. I really, and I love, often I'm very cranky about a lot of text, but I really like the text (laughs) in the book and I think it's really readable and I love the design of the book and the weight of it and the feel. It's a really nice object to just put in your lap and, and work through. So that's how I feel about the book. But what's it been like? Oh my god, I'm I'm blown away. Uh, it's it's we've been working on it for over a year with the uh, uh, Brendan Ibsner, the editor, mm-hmm. the amazing de- designer Emily Anderson, and from the start, because I I'm also like text is also hard for me. Mm-hmm. I was like I really would like this to be its own artwork. And really thinking about it as an art object. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think we were able to pull that off. Yeah. Um, so that was incredible. And just having the opportunity um, and the generosity to be able to reflect on my work for this uh, monograph has been so rewarding. It's also been very hard. I'm super impressed with how Aperture <laughs> produces all the work that they do. Mm -hmm. But I would say that I, I'm a little bit in shock about it. (laughs) I'm in shock. (laughs) Um, But I'm thrilled. I mean, it's incredible. I have a monograph. I can't believe it. Yeah. And it's really beautiful. It really is. It stands out. It's like it's, it's its own thing. It has so much personality, which of course, it would be bizarre if it didn't because your work has so much personality, but they were able to really sort of hang with you, right? Like the book, yes. the book has so much of its own just verve to use a word. I don't know why that popped into my head, but you know, <laughs> it's just like, it's got a lot of energy and, and, it, and so it sort of matches up with your work in that way. And so, yeah, congratulations. It's really amazing. Thank you. I I really appreciate that. So we are at that mark, that time. So I'll wrap it up. And and Wendy, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really was looking forward to getting to know you. And um, yeah, so thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure. Okay, you take care. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The associate producer is Taylor Selsback, and the executive producer is Sasha Wolf. Our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and rate us with all the stars available on your listening platform. 